thing I like is I have been really lucky to work with some extraordinary people. Um, and I've been very lucky that my best friends now have come from my theatre days and their family. My friends are the family that I choose to have. Ever wondered what the creative process is behind the films, TV shows and theatre productions you watch? Well, Crew Chats is a new podcast going behind the scenes and chatting to the crew that help make these productions. I'm Poonam and I usually work in the costume department. Whenever I tell people what I do, they're always fascinated. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool to hear more from the wonderful people who work behind the scenes to make the films and shows we all love? Today's guest is Natalie Wood. Her love of theatre started at a young age when her father would take her to work with him at Wimbledon Theatre when she was very young. And this is where it all began. Natalie studied drama and film studies with the intention of becoming an actress. However, she got a part-time job at the theatre while studying on a play at the Haymarket and this is where her love of theatre was rekindled and ever since Natalie has been working in various roles in the theatre world. Her roles have been assistant and deputy stage manager, stage manager and assistant to the production manager. Currently, Natalie works as technical supervisor for Disney Theatrical. Natalie has worked on musical theatre productions such as Oliver, Avenue Q, Ghost, Kinky Boots and Book of Mormon to name a few. Hi Nat. Hello. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So I'm going to start by asking you what you do. But before I ask specifically what you do, I know you've ha- um, had a few roles in your time in theatre. But if I could ask you to just go through so your roles that I know of have been assistant or deputy stage manager, a stage manager and then assistant to the production manager. And then we'll go into your current role later. But if you could briefly explain what those roles involve, please. Well, when I first started out, um, I was assistant stage manager, which basically is as what it says. I assist the stage manager. You can be doing anything from making props, sourcing props, running around, looking for things in the wing. Then a deputy stage manager basically, again, deputises for the stage manager. But the deputy stage manager is what I would probably describe as like a food processor. So all the information will go into the, the DSM and the DSM kind of spouts it out and makes something beautiful. So they're the show callers of the show. So they're sitting in the prompt corner and they will be listening to the director when we're in tech, the designer. You might have somebody from video in there, somebody from sound. And basically you have all those things. You have a, a musical score in front of you or libretto, which is basically the written word and no music. And uh, you basically you say things the entire time that like you say auto cue, whatever go um, sound, Alex. And it's a basically if you're out front and watching, you just see this seamless piece of entertainment happening. And it's because there's somebody in the corner basically calling everything's happening at exactly the same time. So that's a deputy stage manager's role. Oh, wow. And then I became the stage manager. And obviously the stage manager is in charge of the deputy stage manager and the assistant stage manager. But we all work alongside one another. It's very much a team. Yeah. Without one, there isn't the other. And the stage manager is responsible for from day one of rehearsals to doing the markup, which is basically because we rehearse in a completely empty hall or rehearsal studio. So you have nothing there. So when you get the cast coming in, they need to know that there's a brick wall here. There's a door to the left. There might be a window over there. So with pieces of tape on the floor, we have a ground plan, which is um, the measurements to scale. And we're on, on the floor, we tape out in various different colours and then we walk them through the rehearsal um, and just say, right, here's your door, here's your window, here's where the back wall is, here are some flying pieces are coming in. So they have some idea. So basically when we get into the theatre, they're not there cold going, well, nobody told me there was a wall here. I've been walking through this for the last six weeks in rehearsal. <laughs> so it just makes it easier for them. We liaise with the director, 
with the designer, with the props. And as a unit, we kind of make a, a show happen. Wow. That sounds all encompassing. It is all it is all encompassing, but it's the same with anything. It's probably the same for, for film and TV. It's the team dynamics. So everybody works so well together and so tightly together. And um, listening to a few of your other podcasts, one thing I've heard is that it's like a family. Yes, that's a running theme. Yeah, and it really is because also you're with these people much more than you are with your partner or your other friends or your family. That if it's, you know, if the team dynamics don't work, it changes your experience of your job. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree. It's teamwork and the atmosphere makes a massive difference to how well you work together. And the, I think the overall product that you then end up putting out there. Mm, yeah. And you feel passionately about it because sometimes you might have worked on something which you, you kind of know sometimes when you start something that, mm, yeah, it's kind of OK. But, but because you put your heart and soul and everything into it, it's just like when somebody else comes to you and goes, yeah, it's kind of OK. You're like, no, hang on a minute. <laughs> you know, we've done... And it's because you care so much about the final product you're putting out. Yeah, I yeah I agree with you there. There is a sense of attachment to something that you're working on, irrespective of whether you, yeah, like you say, whether it's good or bad. Yeah. Yeah. And then Definitely. sometimes the things that that you know are really bad are the best things that you've done <laughs> because they're just fun. And you're like, yeah, this is not going to be going anywhere, or this is, and you just have the best time ever. Yeah, I have to agree. Some of my best memories and films when I've worked on films is when it's been they haven't necessarily done very well in the box office but I have extremely fond memories of them so yeah, yeah I think you're right actually. Yeah, yeah. You're currently a technical supervisor for Disney Theatrical, yeah. what does that involve? Well basically we're facilitators so we kind of facilitate everyone to create the physical production right the way from the design drawings to the shop makes to the responsibility of um, sourcing the crew for the fit-ups to the transport so there's 40 foot transport containers that you quite often see we have to make sure we've got enough of those what is going onto those trailers and then shipping if we've got stuff coming from america or from another country we we aren't necessarily responsible we have to organize it so it's kind kind of logistical and um facilitating everything you might need and again it's still for a show so as a stage manager i work very closely with the production manager and um me being a technical supervisor is it's kind of an, an americanism my title production manager so in the UK it would be kind of a production manager but because it's obviously uh, and even it's Disney theatrical that I work for our titles are very kind of like um, Americanized okay that makes so, sense yeah and then we work hand in hand with uh, if once we've got a show up and running or rehearsals we're we're responsible for setting up the rehearsal room making sure that you've got everything you could possibly need so when the cast the stage management, the company management, physio, everybody walks into that rehearsal room, they've got everything that they need so to start. So once they finish doing their meet and greet, hello, we are whoever, they can get on down and they can start doing the rehearsals. Okay. On the occasions, on the night of, say, the, whether it be the opening night or the fifth night or whatever it is, if something goes wrong in a technical aspect, what happens? What's the process behind that to mitigate the error that may have happened? Well, it depends. Again, as a stage manager, that was your job to make sure that to the best of your ability, nothing were to go wrong. But say we had a problem with automation, you normally have like a contingency conversation. So all the stage management would have a conversation with the cast. So, for example, if it's like, OK, if we have this flying piece that doesn't come in, we won't stop. We'll just continue because it's not going to affect everything. But we will try and make eye contact with you from side of stage. And just, you know, if you've got somebody there looking at you going, look, you know, we'll try and get somebody's attention. 
and then they will kind of spread the word around that this flying piece is not going to come and we're going to continue. Other times something might happen, like something might happen with a, I had a, a cast member who once was coming down this set of staircase and was staring at me. And I said, why is he staring at me? Because obviously he normally clocks me, but he's really staring at me. Oh. And all the way down he was, and I, was, and I realised he had a nosebleed. And oh. we were about to go into a dance break. And it's like, there's no way he was going to be able to do that. So he kind of walked off stage towards me. And I kind of like said to the rest of the company, without going out onto the centre stage and going, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry, we have to stop because of whatever, due to unforeseen circumstances, you know, we will stop. So I, I kind of like gestured to the company. They all made their way off stage. We have um, a set of headphones on so we can communicate with any member of stage management. The company manager's listening in as well. So the DSM heard what I was doing. Then they put a call out to the audience saying, ladies and gentlemen, due to unforeseen circumstances, we're going to have to temporarily put a hold to this afternoon's performance. Um, we'll bring the curtain in. We'll explain what's happened. We'll wait until the nosebleed or something is, you know, then we will pick it up from a, a point which is discussed with everybody. So the cast will know when you get back on stage, we're going to pick it up from here. The lighting state is going to be this. The music is going to start here. You're the person that's going to speak. And we'll bring the lights up after we've taken the curtain or the iron out. And then we'll start back again. Other times, there'll be times where there's something which is so integral to the show that we have to stop there and then. Or, and then it is a matter of sometimes people have to go out on stage and, and you know, give that old saying, of, ladies and gentlemen, I'm terribly sorry. Um, and other times you just manage to get the, an entire company to, to kind of walk off stage. But quite early on in rehearsals, we kind of always speak to the company and always let them know that obviously health and safety is of, and their safety is of paramount importance. Yeah. So when we move to the theatre, obviously you've been working with lines on the floor. Now you've actually got the physicality of things flying in above you. You might have lifts that drop down into the stage or rise up in front of you. So everybody has to be in exactly the same space. Should anything go wrong, then it's like you look to the side of the stage. I, w I would always be standing in a specific place where everybody could always see me. Uh, oh. But the audience didn't see me. And that you and you could communicate very clearly to the company. And then it would be for them to obviously to come off stage and to stay where they are because there's nothing worse than suddenly going, oh, well, we stopped. So I'm, I'm going to go for a drink of water. Well, I'm going to go and have a stretch. Well, I'm, I need to go to the toilet. I'm going to go and speak to my friend who's on the opposite side of the stage. <laughs> it's like herding kittens. <laughs> stay where you are. We'll communicate. Then the stage manager will talk to the DSM. The DSM will speak to all the relevant parties, so the sound department, automation. We'll speak to um, costume, just in case we have to go back a scene or we need to go forward. We'll speak to wigs. The company manager will come down. The company manager will liaise with front of house to make sure that they know, just in case it's going to be like a two-minute stop, it's something really simple, or it's going to be like, yeah, we're going to have to cancel because this is not going to, we're not going to fix it. And then the ASMs will speak to the company members and so everybody knows where they are. And then you have a seamless reopening of the show again. So it's, a, you know. Oh, so wow. It, yeah, it sounds like um, you guys have a lot of like, obviously you have a lot of experience in the foresight and what could and may go wrong if very often it doesn't go wrong. But if it does go wrong, that's pretty interesting, though, because I always do wonder. You do hear that it's very rare that you hear the stories, but random stories. And you're like, oh, I actually wonder how they kind of, sort of solved that. And often, like you say, you're not in view or earshot of the audience. So how do you communicate? But that's really interesting mm. to know, actually. You have a look and the cast knows. Oh, yeah. she's, not, she's not staring at me um, because, you know, I'm looking today <laughs> or pretty or, you know, it's like we need to do something about it, don't we? So, yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. And actually, another point, um, I was talking to another guest who worked in theatre, and she mentioned about 
unusual theatre superstitions. Have you, you may not want to say, I don't know if it may be superstitious for you to say right now, but um, are there any particularly odd ones that you can say? Or is it, do you know anything like the history behind this? Some of them? I know there's a Macbeth one. I mean, it, well, I don't there's, know. There's a, which is fine to say, if, if you're in the theatre and you say Macbeth, then you have to go outside the dressing room, <laughs> turn around three times, knock on the door and come back in. <laughs> that's what she said. Yeah. And that's, that's, more, that's more play, but sometimes in a musical theatre, uh, some people will have that. Also things like, you, you're not meant to whistle on stage because in the in, in in days of old in the flying which is all the, the flown pieces that will fly in from you know above so flying flats would be whistled in so if somebody whistled it means it's clear on the deck so you can have something flying in so not many people whistle these days but that was that's one you're not meant to eat oranges because oh. and you're not meant to eat fish and chips again because it smells um, but these are kind of all old ones because nowadays you go into a dressing room and somebody's got oh my god you've got broccoli and, and um you know salmon and somebody's gone yes yeah. so it's like you know don't eat smelly foods but, <laughs> or another one was like don't wear green on stage and I have no idea where that comes from but you know in early days I would have worn a green t-shirt because like yeah it's, I like it and somebody would have gone like no no you got to take that off and it's like no I don't I've got nothing else to wear I'm keeping <laughs> but they're just random like weird things oh that's quite interesting because obviously there is like the superstitions as you say and it I imagine at some point there is history and logic somewhere yeah. behind them and now they're just old wives tales or things yeah. we should but yeah makes sense um and just you touched upon automation um could you just explain what that is please so basically everything that will move on the stage that is automated it might be a a lift that will drop into the floor or rise up it might be a track in the floor where you'll have in the uk we call them a a mouse and a spade so basically a mouse is something which you just drop is that which runs in a track on the stage and a and the spade is something which looks like a spade which slots into it so you can pop a table and chairs on a flat piece of board have that set on there and it can run onto the stage to a set mark every time and it will run off so nobody has to move it it's automated ah the same for flying sometimes you have manual flying counterweight assist and other times you have automated flying and if everything's automated it means that basically you can give it a time so you want it to arrive over 17 seconds or you want it to arrive over 15 seconds so you can time it with the music. OK. Oh. So it's, a lot, it's a lot smoother. That's really interesting. Again, something I did not ever consider that goes oh, yeah, every into. Day's <laughs> I learn something every day. <laughs> it's so fascinating. And so that leads me nicely on to my next question is, what do you love about theatre? I The thing I like is I have been really lucky to work with some extraordinary people. Um, and I've been very lucky that my best friends now have come from my theatre days and their family. My friends are the family that I choose to have. And uh, and again, like going back to team dynamics, when you work with somebody that you can just look at them and they know what you're going to do or say. So sometimes it halves your work because you have a shorthand, which is just like, well, maybe you raised your eyebrow in a certain way and say, oh, OK, that will do this or you want to do that. Or you're about to say, can someone? And you've just taken an intake of breath. And then one of your team have done it and you're just like, oh, it's, it's just, it's teamwork. It really is. It really yeah. is teamwork. And like you say, sometimes things go wrong. It's like normally you go and then it's quite like it's autopilot because everything has to happen at exactly the same time every night or every matinee. Because if it doesn't, then something will go wrong. But sometimes when it's unforeseen things that happen and then you, you might find yourself on stage helping out doing something because you have to. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of, it's those things or the random things like, 
on Kinky Boots, there used to be a thing where we had a cut show. And every now and then it would be like we didn't have enough cast. And then so we would go on and uh, normally side of stage you always have to wear blacks so yes um in kinky boots you had to wear normal clothes you weren't allowed to wear white and you weren't allowed to wear red you weren't allowed to wear white because it was too reflective and you weren't allowed to wear red because the angels wore red oh okay so those are the only two but at the end of act one there was a, a song called everybody say yeah and it was a song where they were in the factory and they had all the travelators and the boots used to come along and this big dance routine used to happen and every now and then we wouldn't have enough people and it would be like, okay, you have to go on and you have to do the end part of the dance routine and to <laughs> set around. And then once you've done that, you can come off stage. And you'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the first time that happened to me, we just had a show stop. So nobody ever asked me whether I knew the dance routine. I'm not a dance routine, but it was, you know, it was enough. Still. And then so you were going, okay, so, so we've got the poor understudy who's never been on for this part before, but he's so ready. So we start back for that. So somebody else dressed as an angel comes around to me and says, can you do that? And I'm like, yeah. When it's getting, I'm like, I, I have no oh. idea. But then you realise you've watched it every night. You go out, you do it, you do your dance routine, you come off stage, and then you're like, oh, okay. So and it's things like that. And some people hated that. Some members of my team would be like, no, not doing it. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. And it's just, sometimes it's the unknown. You don't necessarily know how you're going to get out of something. Ah, uh, okay. That sounds really fun. I mean, I'm saying that I'd probably be one of those people that'd be like, no, I ain't doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds fun and actually like you say the team aspect of it is I think one of the biggest perks of our job yeah. uh, in the creative world and then the second part of that question was why do you think people love to go to the theatre what is it about because even now I mean with streaming and the cinema and films and the easy availability of being able to watch something in your home there's still a lot of us um, there's still sell out shows at the West End and people still go and see new things and small productions and local productions. What is it about the magic of theatre that draws people to theatres? Yeah, uh, it's, um, I think what you said, it's, it's an event. It's a whole event going to the theatre and it's in its pure escapism. If you've had a bad day or there's something, you know, you've got sad circumstances or anything like that, you can go to a theatre. You can leave all your problems, all your worries, everything in the foyer. You can sit in your seat that curtain will go up and you can be transported into wherever it is that they are taking you to. And it's, it's magical. It's magical to watch something live and it affects people and it, it touches people. You can see something and you might it might resonate something with you or you'll see something that you go, like, that's absolutely incredible. How do they do that effect? How, you know, that's, that's something that's, it's, you know, it's a musical, but there's some magic in it. How do they do that? How did they walk through a door? I, you know, I don't understand. And it's like, then it's a talking point. And it's the whole thing. It's going out. You might go out. You might have a meal. You might have a drink in the interval. All those things. But it's just pure, pure escapism. Yeah, I uh, definitely agree with you. You can switch off and be transported. And the fascination element of it, I have to agree as well. When you're watching something like, yeah, how did they do that? So I remember feeling that uh, when I went to see Aladdin and they did the whole new world. Yeah, the magic carpet bit. I was like, oh, wait, how does... I mean, you kind of know there's some wiry and trickery involved. Obviously, you can't really see it, but... It's like, magic. Yeah, how is it? yeah, it's magic. It's magic. It's magic. <laughs> like you said, you said it. It's, <laughs> it's what it is. It's magical. Yeah, and it was pretty magical to watch. It's like, oh, wow. And you find yourself singing along. And yeah. there is something amazing. But, and at the moment, obviously, we're going through... The arts and theatre, I think, particularly go is on standstill and on hold. COVID. What do you see for the future? It will, it, it will come back, and it will come back full force. But for the time being, until the 
are more stringent guidelines or until there's a vaccine, um, it's very difficult to separate um, an audience near nigh impossible to separate company backstage if you think how you know the stage might be quite big but you can't do Romeo and Juliet social distance you can't do a love scene where it's, it's like it's physically impossible and then backstage in the wings when I was reading the guidelines the other day um, whoever wrote the guidelines has never been backstage because they said it has to be a one-way system it's like that's never going to work you have to have everybody exiting and entering the same way so if you exit stage right you come back on from stage right your costumes have to be just left there so there'd be no such thing as a quick change. Everything would have to be disinfected um, between shows, which can happen and, and could happen. Everything is normally like Milton wiped down anyway, until, and then dressing rooms. Sometimes you're in a dressing room and, you know, not even for the cast, for the stage management, there's like five or six people to a room. It's not necessarily very big. You can't expand on the theatre on the size of the dressing rooms. So until something else kind of like comes along, it's going to be, it's, it, it is pretty grim. But they are doing um, open air stuff. I just um, saw online that mm. Jesus Christ Superstar is coming back to Regent's Park. They're not oh. doing a show. They're doing a concert version. Oh, okay. So therefore, it will be out in the open air. They will be able to socially distance the cast. They will be able to socially distance the audience. And um, it will be just not, not necessarily come forward and sing and then step back, but it will be some concert version or another. It's slowly but surely. Something. Yeah. yeah hopefully yeah. it's back to because it contributes like earlier when you said it's a whole day out um it's not merely going to watch a show it's the people not the people that you just see like performing but also the, like backstage crew yeah. the front of house crew the restaurants and the bars around there the other you know this there's, there's a mass there's a, its own economy as it were which it, it contributes towards so um yeah i really hope that there is just generally for the creative world the art entertainment industry there is light at the end of the tunnel but on to a more of a positive question how did you get involved in theatre well when I was very little my dad uh, was a greengrocer but to earn extra money in the evenings he would go and work at Wimbledon Theatre ah and every now and then uh, I guess there was no childcare, so he would take me and I would just sit in the wings oh wow <laughs> yeah just because you know this was this was a long time ago so I would just sit quietly in the wings and you know and I would be just mesmerized and transfixed and then cast would come off and they would come off and they would talk to you and you'd be like oh, the people that were on stage they're coming to speak to me and it was magical and then I forgot all about it and then I went to school I went to college and I went to college to do film studies and drama because I wanted to act that's what I thought I'm, I'm that's it I'm going to be an actress that's it and then I looked around at the rest of my class and I thought, you're really good. I'm not going to do this because you, yeah, can't do this. Not going to do that. So whilst I was at college, I was working at a theatre, just crewing, just to earn oh. some money to pay the rent and do various bits and pieces like that. And then one day somebody said to me, do you fancy being an ASM? And I was like, yeah, sure. I had no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> and then I kind of, then they then explained it and I went, yeah, 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 sure, I can do that. Um, and it was in the days where you had to have an equity card to work. You had to get, but you couldn't work unless you got an equity card. It was one of those chicken or the egg things. Yeah. And I went and did this show and I got my provisional equity card. And it was, what was it? It was it was a children's show. I can't even remember the name of it. It was su such a long time ago. Oh, The Gingerbread Man. That's what it was. It was oh. a gingerbread man. Uh, it was a, and I, I worked and I got my equity card or my provisional equity card. And then it meant once I got that and you'd worked X amount of weeks, you could apply for your your full equity card and I remember the day that I got my full equity card through the post it was like this is amazing <laughs> so exciting 
and then I kind of went from strength to strength. I, I, I was in the right place at the right time and I had an aptitude for doing it. It's very, it's common sense based. So lots of people obviously go to university and go to drama school or technical college and they, they study stage management, which is brilliant and fantastic. And then sometimes I have worked with people that have been to and they've studied it and they've come out with their diploma in stage management and I've worked with them and they go, no, it has to be done like this. And that's like, why? And they go, oh, that's because this is this is how it's done. And it's like, yeah, but it doesn't have to be. It's not a blinkered vision. It, it, it can be this, this, this or this. So experience speaks for an awful lot and aptitude. I just literally went from one. I was very lucky. I went from one job to another, to another, to another. And then you've obviously it's got the, the fifth bug. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> it is the bug. Yeah. I wanted to ask you just to clarify what equity card is. It's a union. You don't have to belong yeah. to it. work in the West End or on tour or in regional theatre but obviously it is advised that you do you can get insurance through it uh, and basically should anything happen you can go to equity and say i've got a problem at work or this and the other they will help they will advise so uh, they're an advisory body ah okay cool i just wanted to clarify in case someone yeah. doesn't i mean i didn't know that either to yeah. be honest and um you mentioned about um earlier you obviously mentioned it's a bit more desky your job now you had more of a hands-on approach to in your earlier career maybe do you miss that element of it and what is it about that kind of physically being involved in the making and stuff that is nice to do with being part of the show and the physicality of it it's just good because you're there especially if you do something which has never been done before if you do sometimes we is if we get a musical out of the box which might be something that's been done in america and it comes over to the uk so therefore somebody's already created it. So all the dancers will already have a dance track. So the cast will know your ensemble, one, two, three, four, five, your dancer, one, two, three, four, five. This is your dance track. This is your ensemble. This is how you're singing. For stage management, there will be cue lists of what you have to do to set up and run your wings. As a deputy stage manager, the person who calls the show, you will already have a book in front of you. And it might be that you, it has to change slightly to make it more relevant to exactly what we're doing over here. And as a stage manager, I will have a cue sheet. So for, for that, it's, it's still exciting to do, but you're not creating anything. You're just replicating it. So the best things to do are when you get to create something that's never, ever been done before. And everybody, there might have been workshops. Yeah. There's, um, say, for example, something like Ghost or Groundhog Day, uh, which never had, they've never been done before. So you, yeah, you, so you just create it in the in the rehearsal room along with the director, the designer, or the cast, with everybody. And when that all comes together and you see everybody's hard work, that is something which is quite incredible. And it's it's again something I've heard on your podcast that feeling that everybody gets when you, you know, the first night. Sometimes I've done a first night, and we've got to the end of it. And we have no idea how we've got to the end because we might not have had time to finish teching it or to doing all the things that we really needed to do. But there's a paying audience and, and uh, you know, we know it's safe to do. So we do it. And then literally the curtain calls, everybody's clapping and everybody comes down. And it's like, how do we do that? And you just generally don't do not know. It's incredible. Yeah. I was going to say it must be so satisfying and a lot of mm. adrenaline. Yeah, it really is. It really, really, really is. All that hard work, all that blood, sweat and tears. And then suddenly it's just like, oh, OK. And then it's like it's when you rehearse, it's like you layer it. So you do it in front of one. You know, if it does it in front of one another, then you might get a you might ask the dresses to come in and you might have an invited dress at the end of your um, rehearsal room days. 
and then you might ask a few more people in then you'll get a you know you'll you'll do a technical rehearsal then you'll do a dress rehearsal and you might have an, an open in address or open an invitation invited dress rehearsal uh, and then people come and then suddenly people know if, it, if it's a, if it's a comedy or if it's something that's funny they'll know where the jokes land or where they don't land the director will go oh we need to cut that we need to move that scene so it's by having that extra layer that then something else makes sense and so you go oh okay well we've been doing it we're so used to it now that it's not funny or that wasn't poignant or that wasn't really sad or that wasn't happy but then you get an audience in and you ah okay yeah okay and it's not that the cast weren't performing it exceptionally just that they needed that feedback from the audience yeah yeah no that so you mentioned going on tour now you've been to I think from what you said you've been to Korea and also places like New York City is that right you also say yes traveled a bit um what's it like um taking a production abroad is it different when the native language of that country is in English yes um when I went to Korea I did two performances. One was an English-speaking performance of Avenue Q, where we rehearsed in the UK and we took it to um, Korea, to Seoul. And we basically had surtitles running on the bottom of the, the stage. So basically the cast would act and sing in English, but it would be translated into Korean. And then after that, I did Ghost, and it was purely Korean-speaking. Oh, wow. Uh, all the creatives were English, but all of the cast and wardrobe mistress, hair and makeup, crew, stage management were all um, Korean. So each of us had a translator strapped to our side and we were not allowed to go anywhere without our translator. Oh, wow. I can imagine so, that being fair. It's probably pretty useful, actually. To be fair. Oh, yeah. And it was, <laughs> I had the most amazing translator. Um, and then with, I don't know, in relation to those two shows that you mentioned in Korea, do you have to make cultural changes? Do you have to adjust for the audience? Yes, yeah, sometimes you do. You do sometimes that something which has been written might not scan or might not fall correctly. So it would have to be rewritten. Uh, it might not be masses. It's normally just a word here or there. Yeah. Um, lots of, in Korea especially, when something was sung, it was either too long or it didn't fit to the music and obviously the music couldn't be changed. So they would have to do a little bit of tweaking there and then. Um, oh, okay. And the same time, there's something brought over from America over to the UK. Something that's hilariously funny over there isn't funny over here. So they might change a word or two. Ah, uh, OK. That makes so, sense. Yeah. What are the highlights of your job? I think it's, some, it's it, being able to take something abroad and you know it inside out. So you can be the most helpful version of yourself because you suddenly become like the Yoda of your show. You have all this information that you didn't even know that you had. So you, you suddenly realise why that quick change needs to happen there because you remember that the wardrobe mistress wasn't speaking to you, but it had just sunk in or the wig mistress needs that amount of time to do something over there. or you need, And it's just you, you just you soak everything up like this knowledgeable sponge and then you can go like, here you go. To not just my department, but to every single department to make it. And it's it's really pleasurable to be able to help out like that. Yeah, I bet. I um, bet that, yeah, the muscle memory you would have attained. Yeah. yeah, you just don't realise it. And, some, and also working with great directors and designers as well. That and Sometimes you have a discussion with a designer and they can be like super helpful because you'll go like, this is, a, this is an amazing piece of set. But if I only just did that, it would make our job so much easier. And they go like, Okay, and you'd be like, oh, 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 great. 
But when it happens, it's just like, oh, my God, that's made it so much easier for all of us to, you know, to contend with that tricky piece of set. Yeah. Teamwork, eh? Yeah, Um, teamwork. What has been your favourite production to work on? Because you've worked on so many. I'm Um, here for a while listing them all out. But to name a few, Oliver, Billy Elliot, Kinky Boots, Book of Mormon. I mean, there's loads. Different ones for different. The the last Oliver at, at Drury Lane, I loved doing because I was so lucky to work with a group of people in every department who were amazing at their job. And in my stage management department, I worked with my friends. And that was, you can't buy that. I was I was getting paid to be with my friends every single day. And, to you know, we worked very hard, but we had the best time. Um, something like Acorn Antiques, because when I was growing up, Victoria Woods was a heroine of mine and Julie Waters. And I took a demotion to go and do that job because I would have swept the stage to have worked with them. And to be in a room with people that of that calibre was amazing, amazing, amazing. Right up until like Groundhog Day or Ghost, where they'd never been done before. They were technically very difficult and really challenging. So your brain hurts and sometimes you wish that you weren't doing it or you weren't working the long hours. But it paid off. And then to just say seeing it all come to fruition and then you had a small part making you know just a small cog in the wheel of everything is just i don't know incredibly interesting yeah yeah Yeah. definitely now this is a bit of a random question but i thought i probably should address it is that this podcast is called crew chats and in film and tv the people that work the people that work on it are referred to as crew mostly but i know in theater that's slightly different um you wouldn't band everyone together under the crew umbrella everyone has very specific titles I'm not going to ask you to list out every single title obviously why is that yeah no I think it's because crew in terms of theatre are the people that are employed by the theatre so we will come in as a unit so we will come in with our our sound our automation our wigs our wardrobe team our stage management our chaperones um, we'll all come in and then we will join the, the in-house theatre group and they will be the crew and they will be led by a master carpenter. Okay. And within them, there'll be a flyman and they're the crew. And some people get really uh, poozy about being termed as crew, purely a theatrical thing and not a film or a TV thing. Because obviously, like you say, when you're in film and, and TV, you're, you're part of the crew. Everybody's part of the crew. But in theatre, you're not. But you are still all together because without one, there's not the other. But yeah. it's, just, it's just how everything's broken down. Ah, okay. What kind of skills do you need to do what you do? That may not necessarily mean what you do now specifically, but overall in in the sort of the the production side of theatre as it is. Yeah. Well, it's it's, um you need to be a great communicator. You need to be able to speak to people from all different walks of life. Common sense more than because it's so. I mean, it's it's being able to adapt and change, and sometimes to take not to take things so seriously. Or personally, somebody comes off stage and yells at you because something wasn't right. They're not angry at you. They're just angry because it wasn't right and they were on stage and you're the first person that they've seen. So it's, it's kind of all this. It's lots of little things. And it doesn't necessarily have to be everybody has the same skills. Because if you all have the same skill set and you all work in the same departments, you're, you're going to kind of jar one another. But if yeah. everybody brings something, you know, somebody could be the most amazing props maker or, or maintain the props beautifully. And it's just like, and therefore you're like, amazing. So it's all those little bits and pieces that come together and make an amazing team. Ah, that makes sense. That's good advice. So we come to the last question, which is my favourite, which is what are your three favourite to watch recommendations? Ah, well, I, this could be so many that it would just be a podcast in itself. 
<laughs> I'll let you have four if you want. <laughs> and I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you the three. Um, uh, one is something that's been keeping me going throughout, kind of like lockdown, is um, Shit's Creek. Ah, okay, I've heard of Shit's Creek. Yeah. So if you haven't watched it, you need to watch it. But no. It's the slow burner. It just keeps getting better and better and better. It's basically about a, a very affluent family who lost all their money and they came from this massive, massive, massive house and they had to go and live in the middle of uh, um, back and beyond in this place called um, Shit's Creek. Ah, oh, okay. And they, they had to live in this motel. And it's it, seriously, if you've got a list, you need to put it on it and you need to start watching it. It's only 30 minutes, so every episode is... If you're watching something and you haven't got another another hour to watch of whatever you're currently watching, these are brilliant, just, just half okay. an hour. I'm going to add that to the list. Um, then a couple of my... Um, like best films and they're old films but the one is called Some Kind of Wonderful and again I, I haven't seen it it's it's um, basically it's about an outcast boy he wants to go out with the most popular girl in the school um, but his best friend is actually the person that he should be with but he can't see it and it's oh. all about it's okay it's it's about love it's it's kind of a rom-com but it has got a got a good old kind of like a moral value in there and it's worth watching it's not it's an 80s movie Okay, some kind of wonderful. Yeah, some kind of wonderful. That's good. And the other one is Breakfast Club. Ah, okay. See, I have uh, seen that. <laughs> yeah, that's just one. Of my, I love that. I could watch that over and over and over again. It's I a very good. New every time I watch it. Then there was something else that did they try and do like a new version of it? They did. Yeah, I don't know how that went. I think I think because I heard they were doing it, I was like, no, we're not doing <laughs> it. I can't hear anything about it <laughs> because yeah, I love it. John Hughes was a brilliant director, so I loved yeah, it. Loved it's it, loved a it. very good movie. Um, you can add one more into the mix if you want. Uh, I'm watching something at the minute, but it's, it's I haven't finished watching it, but I'm really loving it, which is uh, I May Destroy You. <gasps> so good, isn't it? Oh, my God. It's so, so, so good. good. But then you have to discuss it. You have to talk about it. Yes. Thing that you can't, you know, and uh, Michaela Cole said that she didn't want to bring it all out as a box set because you need to not watch it all one on top of the other. Yeah, um, I... I thought it was really clever. I thought it was such art. Oh, it was just that, yeah. I don't know where you're at, so I don't really want to spoil it for you. So brilliant, and it's some of it's true. Some of it's based. I read a, uh, an article with her, and it, it's hard hitting. But I love that you watch it and then you have to discuss it. Yeah, it it's is like, so. So I think it's one of the best things I've seen. Yeah, like there's been a few things. I I don't know if you've seen Normal People. Yes. You have, yeah, yeah. That was also really good. But I think that and um, I May Destroy You like really, really well made and just so thought provoking and just yeah, it was just amazing. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I yeah, I want to say more to you about it, but you've no. not finished it, so I can't say anything else to you about it. <laughs> but yeah, I know I totally agree with you. It is amazing. Thank you so much, Nat, for coming on the podcast. It's been really fun. Oh, Puna, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Natalie. Tune in to the next episode where I'll be speaking to textile artist Matt Reitzmer. And if you get a moment, could you please like, follow or subscribe on your podcast platform and follow the Crew Chats podcast on Instagram. Thank you.